Ladies and gentlemen, it's now time for the most popular and least listened to podcast in the world, the Sixth Sense Media Podcast, with your host, Mike Phelan. A two-part question here. What brought about uh, you wanting to make a documentary about this, and what was the original plan for these two gentlemen to backpack across the Sahara? Um, okay, so when I was a kid growing up outside Chicago, I used to go down to my uncle's photo studio in the city, and he had this really cool space, um, you know, with like wood floors, and there was a lot of natural light coming in, and he had all this cool stuff down there because he was a photographer. And so there were these pictures that he had blown up and put on foam core. And those pictures were from this trip. So my uncle is Steve. He's the guy in, uh, he's the guy with the beard um, in the interview portion, at least. And so I would see these pictures. And I remember seeing this picture. And I was just like, what are these weird pictures that he has? And um, so fast forward like decades later, and I'm talking to him on the phone. And uh, I live in Los Angeles now. Uh, he's still in Chicago, and he mentions he mentions, oh yeah, when I took that hitchhiking trip, and I was just like, what? Wait, tell me about this again. He, he's just like, yeah, you remember I had those pictures, you know, at the studio, and I was just like, yeah, yeah. And so he started telling me about it, and this is like the first time I think I really got like the whole story of what had happened. Like I'd seen the pictures, and they were just like these, you know, unusual pictures. So he started telling me about this and I was just like, wow, that's uh, that's a crazy story is, uh, you know, is Dick, your traveling companion, is he, is he still around? And he's like, oh, yeah, he lives in uh, he lives in L.A. And I'm just like, oh, this is great. You know, so he lives like, you know, half hour, 20 minutes from me. And so, you know, I talked to him and I was like, OK, I think I can make a documentary about this because I have the photographs. And then Dick has the journal that he kept all those years, you know, that he had typed up um, during the trip with his portable typewriter. So I was like, wow, this is really well documented. So that was for me that that was like really interesting. And it was it was good for me also because the previous documentary I had done, I had shot in Mexico and I was like, I need something a little closer, <laughs> you know, and I need to do something that's in my native tongue. So I can, you know, understand it, you know, the people talking a little bit better. Um, my Spanish is only okay, so that was a, it was a little bit of a hindrance, but whatever. Anyway, so um, this is great because I could just go over to Dick's place and I could shoot him there. And uh, I took one trip to Chicago and uh, or two trips, one trip. I can't remember. Uh, anyway, I took uh, took a trip to Chicago and shot Steve there, and then I shot uh, um, him and Dick hanging out in Chicago as well. So that was the impetus for the movie. For their trip, they were kind of, you know, they were young college kids. They had just graduated maybe a year before. And so they were trying to just, you know, it's the late 60s. And they're just deciding, like, what are we going to do with our lives and all this, you know, all this political upheaval that's happening. And they're like, well, why don't we go, you know, to Europe and Africa and we can write stories about people from Kansas because that's where they're from. They're from uh, just outside of Kansas City. And they went to uh, 
University of Kansas. And so they're like, well, what if we did this? You can take pictures. I'll write the stories, and that will sort of fund our trip. And so they went through Europe, and this is sort of in an extra scene that that isn't in the uh, movie that's on Amazon right now. But there was uh, – they spent some time in Amsterdam and in Paris, and um, where else did they go? Uh, they were in a couple other couple other places, and you know they found people from uh, oh they're in Brussels. They found people from Kansas who were doing these sort of interesting jobs, and so they write these articles for the paperback home and a couple other uh, uh, publications. And so that's sort of you know how they came about it. And then you know one thing leads to another, and they end up taking the boat across the Mediterranean and end up in Algiers, and then they make their way across uh, Africa. So it sounds like they had a little that, bit of they had does, a does that sort of answer it. <laughs> yeah, they had a more wholesome kind of uh, kind of Gonzo esque uh, trip without without all the the drugs and booze that Hunter S. Thompson's known for. It's, it sounds like it, it sounds very Gonzo what they were doing. So yeah, I mean, I think it was. I mean, they were looking for some sort of an adventure, definitely. But of course, you never really know what's going to happen. You know, anytime you take a trip, and especially, you know, of course now it's so much easier because it's just like, where am I going? Oh, I'll just look on my phone, you know. So for them, it obviously, uh, logistically, it was significantly more difficult than it would be today. Although, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I think that I mean they they definitely had some weird some some sort of more bizarre adventures in Europe. In Africa, it was a little bit more. There was a little bit more danger involved. I mean, when they were in Europe, they ended up having their car, their car disappeared like twice for a variety of reasons. Two different cars. But yeah, I mean, it was. Yeah, I don't think the the goal I think was just to have an adventure and find out about other political systems that people were talking about around um, around the world. And it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't the Hunter S. Thompson. Let's see how many drugs we can take without, uh, you know, killing ourselves. So, uh, but definitely an adventure, though. Uh, as a documentary filmmaker, uh, since this was more, uh, this was more personal. Was it easier to make a documentary based on something like this as opposed to anything else? Because when I've asked, when I've talked to documentary filmmakers before. They always make it sound like everything is just an uphill struggle, but here it seems like everything it was a bit more cohesive and a bit more natural, and should have been an easier process altogether. Well, that that's actually a really good question, and one of the things I always think about and I tell people about when about documentaries is that you know part of it is access, and if you are part of a particular community and it doesn't matter what the community could be. It could be, you know, um, a, a social group or whatever. It's like, you know, they have to trust you. And if they don't trust you, they're not going to let you in, or maybe they're not going to be as comfortable talking to you or, or whatever. And that can always be problematic. And I've had people tell me, it's like, Oh yeah, we checked on you. (laughs) <laughs> you know, for projects that I'm like, really? <laughs> so, yeah, that's that stuff, which I don't blame them, of course. 
but with this one, since it's a family member, then he knows me and he trusts me enough that that he would talk about this. But, you know, certainly Dick had to be convinced that it's not like I don't think it was it was difficult because Steve and Dick are still friends and I'm sure Steve vouched for me. But had it been just two people who had a trip who I didn't know, then yeah, that sort of stuff would have been probably more difficult if I had to if I had to guess. But yeah, it's always it's always about access. Like listen, if you want to make a documentary about some celebrity, how are you going to get in to the inner circle or at least have them say yes or a political figure, let's say. I mean, good luck with that. I mean, you have to have some sort of connection some way, somehow. So if you are trying to get Michelle Obama to be a subject of your documentary, well, you better have some really, really good people behind you or have an Oscar nomination or several uh, theatrical release documentaries that is going to help you get over the hump because she just doesn't say yes to anybody, you know? So the access is a very important part of the production, you know? So for any uh, prospective documentary filmmakers out there, start small with things you know you have easy access to to build up your catalog before going for the the big the big targets unless you know somebody (laughs) i mean look people people, but the thing is is that i i always think that there isn't any one way to achieve the goal whether it's making a documentary or or whatever it's whichever way works for you and if you are tenacious and smart enough and all that then Maybe you could get Michelle Obama to be in your documentary. I'm just saying that in general, it's going to be easier if you have that access lined up. Now, you could be a first-time documentary filmmaker and get somebody amazing in your documentary, but it's like there's probably somebody that you know or, you know, you had some sort of access to them. And that's, you know, typically that's, the way i think it's, it's going to work but you know listen there's there's a lot of people who do these documentaries about all sorts of like my last documentary i did i didn't have any connection to this whatsoever i just thought it was an interesting story and so you know i talked to people and you know you kind of get people on your side and hopefully they say yes and you move forward but uh yeah i mean listen you if you're into skateboarding and you're a first-time documentary filmmaker, yeah, you're, you probably have buddies who are skateboarders, and if they have a good story, you know, they'll probably let you shoot them. Uh, I can attest to that, too. Even, even on my show, when I'm not doing the, uh, the PR circuit interviews, when I try to reach out to different, diff- different people that I think might be a good interview, and a lot of the times you either don't hear back or the agent or publicist just hounds you for credentials. Like, I've been doing this for 15 years. I mean, I how much more of credentials do you need? But uh, sometimes it just, like, it, it just happens out of luck. Um, I was working with uh, Brad Jones, uh, the cinema snob, uh, on an interview. He really wanted to talk to Steve Gutenberg. And I was like, 
I don't. Uh, Gutenberg's kind of a recluse. <laughs> so let me see what I can do. I emailed his uh, agent, and just in the middle of me driving to the airport to take a flight, his agent calls me, and I'm like, "Oh crap!" He's like, hey, uh, "Yeah, Steve's ready in like ten minutes if you can do this." And I'm like, "Fuck!" <laughs> yeah, so I, no, to... I know. I mean, it's it's weird who will say yes and who will say no. Like in in the past, it's like when I've gone looking for money. Let's say I'd be like, oh, I bet this is a documentary in this subject. Maybe so-and-so, they're interested in this topic. Maybe if I write them a letter, you know, back in the day or now an email, I can sort of, you know, they'll be like, oh, this sounds cool. I'll donate some money to this. And it's very strange seeing, like, the people that you think will definitely be on board, and then you just never hear back. Or there are people who you're just like, yeah, it's a flyer. I'll just take a flyer. And then it's like, and then they write you a check. And it's just, it, it's very strange. And listen, I totally get it. The interviews that, that you do, it's like, I'm sure you're like, oh, this guy, yeah, he'll totally do it. He, and then it's just like cricket. And, you know, getting past the gatekeepers, it can be really, it can be, I mean, this is, this is why people have representation, you know? So I totally hear you. I, I feel your pain. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not... It's not as easy as people think it is. You think you just say, "Hey, you're with this outlet or this magazine or whatever," and yeah, right. sure, they'll just they'll just let you do an interview. But no, that right. that public, especially the publicist, will want to know exactly what the questions are, exactly what you're going to talk about. Is there going to be any negative right. press for it? I'm like, I wouldn't be doing this successfully if it, if I was going to try to make a fool out of the person. I just want to talk to them about their mm-hmm. career and their projects and you know right. what words the they have for like, up and coming actors. Right. But the thing is that a lot of people, they don't, you know, they're, they only have a certain amount of time and people are trying to protect themselves, like the agents and the publicists, because they, you know, if it goes bad, guess who's going to hear about it? And frankly, if you're, if you're Beyonce, you don't have to talk to anybody. <laughs> you know, So it's, I know, I believe me that that sort of stuff I've run into multiple times and it's very frustrating and you're just like, I'm just trying to do my job and trying to get this out there. It's, it's not like you're Sasha Baron Cohen trying to make a fool out of somebody, but you know, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I, I totally hear you. I mean, has there been anybody you were like, I, I totally think that they will talk to me. And then it's just nothing. Like, do you have anybody uh, like that? Actually? Yeah. Um, I was trying to get a hold of uh, Brian blessed. Um, because I've been I've been a huge fan of Brian Blessed ever since Flash Gordon and Blackadder and uh, just various uh, Shakespeare productions he's been in. His agent was like, "Yeah, let me forward your information," and then it just went into a black hole. <laughs> yep. And I was so sure because I was like, "It's it's the right it's the right time of the year." I know things are in a little bit of slump, and he'll have the time, and then just vanished. And then I was like. Yeah oh that's something i really really wanted and then there were ones that were set up by the publicist who reached out to me and then the person would just never call and then they would never return my emails they're like well you reached out to me what's the is there a problem because if there's a problem on my end i really need to know about it if there's something happened or someone said something i need to get on top of that to figure out what's going on but it's just the way the business is i i think that you know, there, I don't think there's any grand conspiracy. The the truth is is much more boring, and then it's just they decided, eh, I want to do this. You know, or oh wait, this other thing came up. I have this phone call I got to do. 
and then it's just it it sort of goes off the front of their their brain and then they just go off and do other things and forget about it so i i think a lot of that stuff just ends up being luck you know it's just like you, you got it and they were in a good mood that day and it ended up the stars aligned appropriately i i don't you know most of the time i don't think it's it's like wait hold on who is this guy and you know, life is much more boring than that. <laughs> you know, to set up a conspiracy <laughs> is is much more difficult than I think people realize. But yeah, I, I totally. I mean, ultimately, it's like you got to realize. Everybody has to realize. Like, you know, nobody bats a thousand. It's like some some are going to say yes, some some are going to say no. That's all. Yeah, and then there's sometimes there are ones that I get that I'm really excited about, and they become unusable. <laughs> yeah like the, the person will be like i want to talk politics talk. yeah well yeah. some of them want to talk politics i'm like we're here to talk about a certain film you're in like right now but you go on talking about politics for an hour and i'm like oh i can't turn this into my editor right no i know i know it's just but but that's the thing it's like you know the one thing about interviewing people i've learned is that you know you kind of want to get people to talk about the things that they're really interested in and typically they're they're better when they're talking about that i mean on occasion like i've done you know interviews with you know with people and the guy has a great story but they were just dead on camera like they just were not good on camera and for whatever reason that is they're not comfortable maybe that was my fault maybe they just don't feel comfortable they talk very softly they just don't have that light in their eyes when they're talking and you're just like oh i can't use this this is like it'll just it'll grind the movie to a halt if I put this guy in there, so it's it's unfortunate, but you know that's that's kind of the you know part of the deal. Like this is like another thing. Yeah, you get the interview. The the guy, the you know, the man or woman, just they might not be a good interview subject. That's all, <laughs> and then nothing that you did. It's just that's that's who they are. I mean, sometimes you see that even with celebrities, you're just like, wow, this person is just. They're just, they're not good talking like that. They can, they can act, but you ask them to talk about something and they're just like, Ugh, and you're like, oh my God, well, the editor is going to have uh, some work to do on this one. Yeah. I've had some one word interviews, just one word answers all the way across. Right. Like, oh, they I'm didn't want to be there. Yeah. <laughs> they just didn't want to be there that day. So, yeah. I, yep, I mean, I don't blame it. them. Maybe. We all had, I've had those days when I've been on the show and I just like, I did not care about the subject. I was just doing it because I promised I would do the interview. And then I'm just kind of like, ah, this, the subject doesn't interest me or something like that. I'm just like, ah, I don't care. I mean, listen, you know, the person you talk to might just have found out they're getting divorced that day. So, but they had to go through the interview. <laughs> it's, it's life. You know, so anyway, yeah, the best, yeah, the best calls is when they're on their cell phone and they're in the middle of L.A. traffic. And then I'm like, oh, this is great because they're angry and they want to vent and I can get some good answers out of them for something like yeah. honest answers. <laughs> there you go. Like and in, then in, in there's honking in between answers right in the middle of an answer. Yeah, the, there's a lot of sound editing in some of those things. <laughs> right. Um, so if you were to make uh, another documentary about something that involved a close family member or something that you were very, very familiar with and have a lot of access to, uh, what would that be? Um, well, I probably would have already done it. 
<laughs> so I don't know if I have, I don't know if I have any other family members that have like crazy stories like that. I mean, the thing is like, sometimes stories may be interesting to you, but maybe they're not interesting to a larger audience. Um, so I don't like, this is the first time I ever did anything on any family member. So that was kind of a, a new thing for me, but I have to say, I don't know if, uh, you know, unless something else comes up that I, that I'm not aware of at this moment, I, I kind of doubt I would do another one. Um, it's just, I, I tend to, I tend to gravitate towards stories that are a little bit more unusual and strange and, you know, that, that I just personally find interesting that are, you know, have, have something larger to say, I guess. I don't know. That's probably not any different from any other documentary filmmaker, but yeah, I, I don't, you know, not that my family isn't interesting. It's just, I don't know if there's a movie in there, you know, listen, sometimes stories are, are good for a book. Sometimes they're good for a podcast and sometimes they're good for a movie. It just really depends on what, what the story is. It just really, really depends. Uh, after you had, after you'd filmed everything for this documentary, did it change your outlook on, on your family at all? Or were you pretty much the same going in as you were coming out? Well, I mean, I mean, there were some things that I found out about Steve that I just, I didn't know because obviously it's, you know, he, he had spent hours with me sitting down talking, you know, about this trip, but you know, he talked about his, uh, you know, his first wife and, and all that stuff, which I just didn't know. I think I'd maybe seen a picture from his first wedding that I, that I used in the movie. Um, but I didn't really know about that. And, I, you know, some of that stuff, I just, I just didn't know about his relationship. And I didn't know how close they came to sort of um, maybe not coming back. Um, but I would say, I don't know if I learned anything different from him as a person, because he, he's, he's a pretty open kind of person, and he would tell me stuff if I asked him. So it's not like he was he was withholding anything. Um, but really, it was just, I mean, it was just the stuff in the movie. Like, you know, there's, they almost died when a camel ran in front of their car, you know, in the middle of the desert. So that sort of stuff is kind of interesting. But also just emotionally, there, you know, when he sort of, Steve kind of loses his, uh, you know, he sort of has his breakdown, um, you know, and he gets emotional about it on camera. So that sort of stuff, uh, you know, I just, I didn't know about it, but I don't know if it necessarily changed my perspective on who he is as, as a person. Uh, the, the, the documentary has already been out for uh, a couple of weeks now, correct? If I'm not wrong. Yeah, it's been on, yeah, it's been on Amazon for yeah. a little bit. That's what I thought. Uh, what has been the reaction that you've seen uh, for people that have seen it? Well, I mean, it's funny because, you know, when it goes out online, you don't really get as much feedback as you do from a from the in-person screening. You know what I mean? So when you see it with an audience, it's funny because immediately you see things 
that maybe you didn't see watching it 300 times in the edit suite. You know, it's or you you think like something's really funny and then nobody laughs at that part. Or sometimes you're just like, oh, that's kind of a nice moment. And then people are like, oh, yeah, that was really great. And you're like, oh, I didn't think that was the strongest part of it. But that's okay. People have different reactions. So, you know, typically, yeah, when people write stuff, it's it's nice and they usually say nice things about it. So so that's always nice. Um but you don't really get as much as you would at, at an in-person screening when they can, people can come up to you and talk to you or you do a Q&A and people have uh, their personal reactions. Just online, it's obviously there's that, there's that barrier between you and what other people say and think about it. So it's, it's I mean, overall, it's been pretty positive. I mean, uh, so I'm thankful for that. But... Yeah, it's really showing it like at festivals and having screenings. That's where you really get more of a of, of feedback from from people. That's if more valuable, I would say. Yeah, if everything starts to go back to normal, hopefully by the end of this year, do you have plans for submitting it uh, back to the festivals and uh, cons and whatnot? Well, no, I mean it, it showed at some festivals, and so that was sort of done. I mean, you kind of go through a whole process of. Uh, and now things have changed significantly, obviously, with, with uh, the pandemic, but also just in general, like there's more, I think more festivals will probably be going to an online uh, format. And, you know, I don't particularly care for that because, I mean, I, I see a lot of movies up until, you know, March. I mean, I, you know, it's funny, I'll see something on TV at home and, and I kind of have to do that now, but before that I would see typically, you know, maybe 60 to 70 movies in a theater every year, you know, maybe even more. So that's just my preference. I'd like to go to the theater and I like seeing it on a big screen and, and doing all that as opposed to being at home where there's all these distractions and look, my TV is not as big as a movie screen. So you know, for me, it's like seeing it at theaters is the best experience for me. Like, that's how I want to see stuff. So, I, you know, at a certain point, it's like if festivals are, are you know, at a certain point, the, you know, you just have to kind of move forward and go, you know what, it's going to go on Amazon and then, it's, uh, you know, soon it'll be on Tubi. And, you know, you kind of have to move forward. It's like, you know, when are in-person festivals going to continue? I don't know. And am I going to wait around that long and wait another year or whatever and resubmit? It's just, no, I just get it out there. It's just, you're just better off. Yeah, I, I, I don't, uh, I don't disagree with you at all from just kind of just moving forward instead of getting stuck in a rut. Like maybe I can get it in if, if things go back to normal in six months and then you wait six months and it doesn't. And then you're like, oh, that was time I could have right. spent creating other art. I know. <laughs> and frankly, right right now, it's I would suspect that more people are watching stuff online, so you're probably better off uh, getting it out right now. Um, I don't have any statistics to back that up, but you know, when when this finally ends and people are going out, well, guess what? They're probably not going to be watching as many things on Amazon or or other online sources because they're going to be out doing stuff. You know, people are well 
cooped up and be like, I want to go out to dinner. You know, I want to go to the, you know, the beach or whatever without fear of getting a deadly infection. So I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of just feel like it's at a certain point, you just have to get your movie out there and, you know, waiting around for a festival probably isn't going to break you because, you know, how many people actually do get into Sundance? I mean, it is a tiny, tiny fraction. And the people that do, good for them, but everybody else, like, you know, then you're stuck. And uh, I mean, really, there's only a few festivals that can significantly help you in terms of uh, business, in terms of uh, business. Um, but, you know, uh, that, that's not to be a knock on any festivals because they are fun. I mean, I'd, I like to submit to festivals. I think they're fun and you get to meet other filmmakers and you get a screening and, you know, you visit some other place that maybe you haven't been to and you get to travel and, and do all that sort of stuff. But, you know, from a strictly business standpoint, it's like, you know, I'm just, I'm just not going to sit around. It's, there's there's other things that I can I can do in the meantime. You've been listening to the Six Sense Media podcast. You can find more of our celebrity interviews and roundtable discussions on iTunes, Podbean, and SoundCloud. Be sure to check out our movie, TV, and video game coverage at SixSense.com and FanBolt.com.